Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Technology has changed a lot of occupations and derailed some careers. Perhaps none more than the career of the professional photographer. What used to be a profession that demanded technical skill and artistic talent and required specialized equipment, cameras, lenses, and lights, is now something that every single person can do with a phone. Even when there is still a call for a professional photographer, the very product that the photographer makes has changed. A photographer used to produce a photograph that was a paper product and sometimes in a frame. Today, a photograph is most commonly a digital file. It's gone from being a physical thing you could hold in your hand to what's called intellectual property. Local New Orleans photographer Cheryl Gerber has navigated all of these changes. Cheryl started taking photos professionally in 1991, and she's still snapping images of New Orleanians. You've seen Cheryl's work in New Orleans Magazine, Gambit, and many other outlets as well is in six books. Cheryl's latest book is Chachet La Femme, about New Orleans women. Cheryl Gerber, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, it's so great to be here. Photographs are like music and books and movies. They all used to be manufactured objects that came in various forms of hardware. Most recently, music was on CDs, movies were on DVDs, and books were on paper. If you wanted to listen to music, watch a movie, or read a book, you had to buy them. Now all these items are intellectual property. They're digital files that live somewhere in the ether. You can get a hold of them on a device that fits easily into the palm of your hand, and mostly, you don't have to pay much for them. You can even flat out steal them. That, of course, is not legal. There's a lot of law that governs intellectual property. Beyond music, books, and photographs, intellectual property encompasses every piece of software that drives every device, from an operating system to a food delivery app, and every single idea and patent that drives practically everything in our lives. The law firm Jones Walker is a major sponsor of Out to Lunch, so we thought we'd take advantage of that relationship and invite Michael Leachman to have lunch with us today. Michael is a partner at Jones Walker. He's a specialist intellectual property attorney. Michael, welcome to Out to Lunch. Oh, glad to be here. Cheryl, let's start with the difference between an old-fashioned photograph and a piece of intellectual property. When you took old-fashioned photos, you mailed them or delivered them to an editor or publisher, and they published them in print. Now you send them as an attachment, and they end up online. In the old days, you knew who was publishing a photo, and they had to pay you for that privilege. Today, how do you have any idea who's copying your photos? And when someone does use a photo you've taken and puts it up on a website or social media, how do you get paid? And do you have an agent or attorney who chases people for you? I do, actually, Whoa. yes. Um, I, I, about a year ago, I signed up with a law firm in New York, and they 
copyright or register about three months of my images at a time after it's published and they have people who can go in and search for those images. So I've found quite a few of those images that people have stolen. Unfortunately, they were, I don't want to say stolen, I want to say shared by New Orleans <laughs> iconic institutions that I can't okay. sue. Yes, that would be or bad. I would, or I would, like, even maybe your employer. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or, no. you'd, or you'd lose business, right? <laughs> or I'd lose business. And, and, you know, it has changed a lot. You said we used to mail our photos. I mean, I used to drive to gambit with my photos wet out of the window <laughs> to get there That's in time. That's a good visual. So the digital is so convenient, and I feel like it's made for me because I don't have a very high attention span. But... It does give people the opportunity to do what they want. And 99% of the time, it's okay with me to share those photos, especially because I photograph so many New Orleanians who are culture bearers, and they want to see the photos. They want to have those to post on social media, and that's fine with me. It's when somebody uses the photos to make money or to, um, for political purposes, especially if it's a political purpose that I don't agree with. Oh, wow. And, and sometimes it's just a phone call will do. You know, a phone call them. was, and you say, please take that off? Yeah, in some cases it takes 10 phone calls, you know, or a yeah. letter from a lawyer. I was going to say, something. you're very pleasant. Do you have like a mean, gravelly voice you use for those? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but I, I did um, go after one guy in Baton Rouge who was using photos of our former mayor in a very derogatory way, oh. the, surrounding the whole Confederate monument yeah. thing, and I just didn't want... Because I'm trying to take photos objectively, and you don't want them to be used for purposes that are, you know, yeah. political. So, so he sent me some money and um, took it down eventually. Oh, I'm glad, glad to send it with a check. There's a, <laughs> now, Michael, there are a number of terms that we hear thrown around when it comes to intellectual property. A copyright, trademark, patents, trade secrets. At one time we would have thought of your clients as a smallish band of investors or engineers. Today, there are literally millions of people creating intellectual property. They're designing apps, they're posting music and images online, they're coming up with ideas for businesses and writing business plans, they're publishing movies and podcasts online. This very conversation we're having right now is a podcast that anybody can download and play on their phone as many times as they want. With this huge explosion of intellectual property, is intellectual property law the fastest growing segment of the legal profession? Or are we still looking at a wild west where there's everything's happening so fast and growing faster than the law can really keep up with it? Well, if you look at litigation trends over the last 30 years, you would definitely see a sizable uptick in IP litigation, intellectual property litigation. I think that ties directly to the fact that intellectual property has become a more valuable asset in today's economy than it was in the 70s and 60s. So to answer your We're question, We're thinking of yes. more stuff, yeah. And I think it also getting to your issue you have with digital photos, the digital age has brought about increased litigation associated with intellectual property because it's so much easier to copy. And so it used to be much harder when there was a photograph that you had to take down to Walgreens or wherever you get photos developed and, you know, have a copy made. Now today you can just, with one or two clicks on your computer, take possession of it and distribute it to thousands of people in, you know, a matter of seconds. You know, I, my exposure to this is kind of limited to a shark tank where uh, <laughs> somebody comes on and they have something relatively cool, uh, but it always ends with the... Uh, the question, uh, has this been patented? And uh, is that 
the kind of client you run into a lot and it's a statement you have to make? Yeah, so one thing that is complicated when we use the term intellectual property is that that's really an umbrella term. It is identifying a bunch of different individual, different types of intellectual property rights that the law provides protection for. So we're talking about patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets when we use the term intellectual property. But each of those are different types of rights that only come into play depending on the type of technology that you're dealing with or the type of you know, creative work that you're dealing with. So when we're talking about um, Cheryl's photographs, we're typically talking about copyright protection because that would be what we call a work of art and copyright law protects works of art. But inventions, those are protected by patents, not necessarily copyrights. So when you're watching Shark Tank and they're talking about is it patented, they're typically talking about inventions, things that are some sort of you know, industrious you know, design or development that can be legally protectable under U.S. patent law. If, if Cheryl were to walk into your uh, office and uh, uh, tell you she's, she's really pushing out a, a new venture in photography, what would the first thing be that you uh, ask her? I guess it's probably a series of questions. So when it comes to trademarks, you know, the important thing is always look before you leap. Uh, if you pick a name for your company without checking to make sure someone else isn't already using it, you could very much walk yourself into a trademark infringement lawsuit. And that can be, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar, you know, bad mistake. Uh, getting sued for trademark infringement is not a fun thing, and that's something you want to try to avoid on the front end if you can. can so, I, yes, uh, there is a database in which you can look to see if other people have already registered a same, the same or similar trademark. So I take it I can't call myself Coca-Cola. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's, you're going to get a nasty letter. <laughs> <laughs> or one of those calls from Cheryl, which apparently <laughs> is, is very frightening. They, uh, Cheryl, if you took a picture of someone, um, is that copyrighted or do they own their own image? It, it is and it's something I've struggled with as a New Orleanian because I pho- that's what I photograph people and I've gotten into arguments with people they're like but it's me I can have the photograph and you can and I give the photos to whoever I do uh, do the photograph of but they can't use it on the cover of their CD and to promote their business without paying me so and I can't use it to promote my business, um, well, I can I can use it on my website, but I can't promote or use it in an ad unless I get a release from them. At least that's my understanding. Maybe Michael can tell me more about that. <laughs> so we're seeing a weird, so this question. If you end up at the St. Gabriel Women's Prison at the end of the show. It's, it's really not my fault. <laughs> this question is an interesting intersection of copyright law and right of publicity. And so an individual that has their photograph taken, if they're just Joe Blow walking down the street and Cheryl thinks it's going to be interesting to take a picture of them, um, that's fine and good until Cheryl starts putting that on magazine covers and doing things that interfere with that person's right to be left alone. It's a right of publicity, right of privacy. And so there's an issue there if there are photos being taken of random people walking down the street with right of publicity and there's some protections that the law provides for those individuals. However, the photograph itself, the copyright law dictates that the copyright ownership of that photo belongs to the artist that created the photo, which would be Cheryl. And so she has the right to restrict people from making copies of that photograph. This is why when you get family photos um, of your own family, you oftentimes have to buy the individual prints from the photographer or obtain a release. 
and that release is more or less a I out your siblings. This is so bad. There's <laughs> it, it's true. Like uh, I've had Lakeside Camera, the local, yeah. or Bennett's Camera, call me and say somebody's here with the CD of your photos. Can they? And of course, I'm like, yes, they they can. They bought it, but at least they check because they're not. You, you can't just go to Walgreens with, you know, a thumb drive of somebody's images and print them up. That's good. You're not that, supposed to because anyway. Michael yeah. will be right on. <laughs> this is the confusing thing about copyright law for most people. They, your natural instinct is if, if you pay a photographer to take pictures of you, that you own all the rights to those photos, and that's just not the case under the default copyright law in the United States. The default rule is that the photographer owns all the rights to the photos, and so, you know, what I always recommend to people dealing with any sort of artist, whether it's a photographer or a you know software code writer, is whatever the deal is, get it in writing at the beginning, and that way there's no misunderstandings on the back end when you're trying to do something with the photos or the software code. And Michael, when I hear the, the, the horror stories, I hear kind of on the patent side all the time, where you know, you've created something great and somebody claims they already have that patent. Uh, sometimes they don't even, never did anything with it. It's just, uh, they just have the, the rights to it. That's, I mean, the stories I read sort of sound more like extortion than anything else. Yeah, so when you're talking about patents and inventions, I mean, those are types of, that's a type of intellectual property that us as normal individuals run into far less often. But when you do run into patented patentable inventions it usually is a very big dollar sign associated with them if we think about you know some of the patented technology that facebook has created their billion dollar empire on you know those patents you know form the foundation of you know billions of dollars worth of you know valuation given to that company and so when we hear these stories about patents yes they make headlines because there's usually a lot of money involved but in our day-to-day lives we probably encounter more issues with copyright law and trademark law than patent law. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Michael Leachman, specialist intellectual property attorney at the law firm of Jones Walker and photographer Cheryl Gerber. Now, Cheryl, once your photographs make it onto, you know, Facebook or Instagram, are they gone at that point? You don't own them anymore? No, I own them. Um, there is, there is a, a funny thing, though. Facebook can use them. Um, I don't think they can use them any which way that they want. And, and a funny example of this was when Facebook first came out, I was driving around the Superdome and I was looking at one of those electronic billboards that just came out and I saw my name and my face, my Facebook page, with the caption that said, look at the trash we found online. Oh my! And, and it, I almost wrecked my car, and I had to go back and wait for it to come oh, back up because it, you know. Every eight And what seconds, it was yeah. was it was Keep Louisiana Beautiful, a nonprofit that I liked on Facebook. Saw a picture that I took with my cell phone of some litter at City Park, but you couldn't see the picture of the litter. You could see my face, my name, and look at the trash we found online. Oh my! And it was perfectly legal for them to do it. They were nice enough to take it down, and I ended up using my dog as my profile picture after that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's changing so fast that it's hard to keep up with what's legal and what's not legal. Oh, my. <laughs> it was one of those old billboards. You would have climbed it and taken it down, you know. It would have been a great visual, really. There's, uh... <laughs>
Now, Cheryl and Michael, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. You're just sitting down to dinner when your phone rings. It's your brother-in-law. Usually he only calls when he's going out of town and needs you to drop by to feed his goldfish. But this time it's different. This time your brother-in-law has a business idea for you. And Cheryl, I'll start with you. Your brother-in-law says that there are 2 billion people on Facebook, countless more on LinkedIn, Twitter, Tinder, and everything else. Every single one of these people has one desire in common. They want a good profile pic. As a professional photographer, even with a webcam, you take a better photo than than most people do. So your brother-in-law says you need to set up an online business where people FaceTime or Skype you and you take their photo online. (laughs) People will pay you $10 for a good profile pic and you could take probably about 50 photos in an hour what do you tell your brother-in-law? Is this the germ of a good idea? It is a terrible idea. Oh, jeez, <laughs> I really thought we were going places. <laughs> I mean, anybody could take their own picture online, right, with a Skype camera. Um, but not, the, not with the touch that you would bring to it. Not with the touch that I would bring to it. I mean, one of the favorite things I get that people say is, like, can you take my picture? You have a good camera. But, <laughs> you know, thank you. No, they... You know what, they saw that billboard, and now you're having trouble bringing yourself back. <laughs> it's uh, So no, though. Tell your brother-in-law no. Totally no. no, no. All right. God, we've had so many good ones, but let's see. <laughs> yeah. Now, Michael, your brother-in-law says he's been wanting to start a podcast, but he didn't know what to make it about. He just had a great idea, intellectual property. It touches everybody's lives, and most people don't know anything about it. So your brother-in-law says, how about... He and you do a podcast about intellectual property. He'll be like the regular Joe host, and you'll be the expert. What do you say? Are you up for hosting an IP podcast? You know, I certainly enjoy talking about intellectual property, but if I judge based upon my wife's reaction when I tell her what I did each day at work, I suspect there wouldn't be very many people that would be (laughs) tuning in to such a show. Really? Probably put people to sleep, but maybe it would be a good podcast for the evening hour. Oh, but how about a call-in show? Call-in show, well, that would be interesting because I can promise you that we get some very interesting uh, questions as intellectual property attorneys. Is there, are there a couple examples you could give us that we wouldn't be giving up a name or anything? Uh, oh, the probably the most, we had, this wasn't me, but one of the attorneys I work with had a uh, call, call in that was a cold call that came, you know, just through our, you know, front desk number. And it turned out it was an inmate at one of the local prisons that had believed that he had invented a perpetual motion machine. Oh. Which to this day is the only type of invention that the patent office requires you to drive up to D.C. to show them that it actually works. Because it defies the laws of physics. And, you know, that's the thing about being in prison. It's so hard to make, you know, away games. Exactly. So uh, that's probably the most interesting, uh, you know, uh, cold call reported invention that we get but we get a lot of ideas that you know you realize that they're you know pretty nascent stage just an idea they actually haven't been fleshed out to see if it actually works and that's the really my follow-up question is how far do you have to get along before you look at a patent is it proof of concept when do you when do you step in well so ultimately in a patent application for the government to give you a patent which gives you a 20-year monopoly on the idea you have to explain to the world how to actually make and use the invention. So if you have an idea, I typically recommend people get to the point of actually knowing how they would make and use the invention, because we're going to have to put that in writing and explain to others how to do it at 
before the app application can be filed. So it makes sense even if you have an idea and it sounds like a good idea in your head, go ahead and put, you know, pen to paper, go ahead and start making something in your, you know, in your work shed. Get a prototype made. <laughs> the, uh, what if Cheryl, because she's a multifaceted artist here, is uh, what if she wrote a haiku and uh, she tried to patent it and turned out there was some guy in Japan that had written the same exact haiku. Where do you go from there? Okay, so th this wouldn't be something that would be patentable, but, you know, a poem could be protected under copyright law okay. as a, you know, artistic creation. Um, if this is the interesting thing about copyright law, whereas patents, if you copy someone's design, you can get sued for patent infringement. Copyrights, she can come up with the exact same poem if she does it independently. It's not copyright infringement. Same reason why she could take a picture of you, and then I could stand exactly where she was and take the same picture. My picture would not be infringement of her copyright rights because I have a separately, independently created work of art. It just happens to be similar. Where you get in trouble with copyright laws when you actually make copies of someone else's work. So if I look at her, see, get her picture, get a copy of it, go down to Walgreens and say, here, print me off you know, 10,000 of these, that would be an act of copying because I took her work, made actual copies of it, and then distributed it. Now, Cheryl, I'm giving you a great opportunity here. Is there one question you want to ask Michael? Well, I do, because I'm still learning about this, and this is the reason um, that I started registering my photographs, because if somebody steals a photograph from you and uses it, it's my understanding that you can charge them what it would be worth, what I would normally charge them. But if you have it registered with the Library of Congress, you can charge for tens of thousands of dollars. I have a friend who is suing a certain president of ours, for using one of her photos she did at a campaign on his Instagram. McKinley? <laughs> no. <it's not> even, <laughs> yeah. Guess this president. Wow. So, uh, so, yeah, so is that correct if you don't register it? I mean, you own the copyright, but you don't, you can't sue for damages. So, well, it, it, you're restricted to the type of damages that you can get if you don't, do not register your copyrightable work early on. And so if you find out someone's infringing a photograph of yours that you've already registered, you, you'll have two options when it comes to deciding what type of damages you want to get from this infringer. You can either get actual damages or what are known as statutory damages. And statutory damages are only available if you, in fact, registered the work before the act of infringement occurred. And so statutory damages range from $750 to $30,000 per work infringed. And if you show that the work infringed was done, if, if the infringement was willful, that can be increased up to $300,000 total award. I feel like we're on an antique road show on PBS. And it's like, <laughs> it's worth that much? That is so great. So this is, statutory damages is why you've, you saw a crackdown over the last, you know, it's probably been 15 years now, when, you know, the downloading music illegally was a really big right. thing. Uh, you know, record labels would come in and they obviously were copywriting all the songs that they were getting, uh, you know, recorded and aired. And, you know, a, a college student that recorded, you know, a thousand songs that each cost 99 cents to buy, they were getting hit at $750 per work in French, so 750 times a thousand. The damages awards were extreme and so it was a really pretty big whip that the music industry was uh, swinging uh, when it came to illegal downloading. 
which is why you've seen, at least to my knowledge, I don't hear much about it anymore because I think most people have realized that it doesn't pay to illegally download anymore. And Cheryl, how has uh, the iPhone affected you? <laughs> really, I mean, I know you, you know, you take much better photographs than I would and such, but how did, what is, what has it done? Well, you know, the best camera you have is the one you have with you, so it can be very valuable. Even for myself, when I walk, I like to take pictures, but it has changed what I do dramatically. For instance, the other night I photographed St. Joseph's Night, which I've been doing for years. Uh, back in the 90s, there would be one or two photographers there with a camera. Now you have iPhones everywhere, and it's almost impossible to get a photograph of a Mardi Gras Indian without a cell phone in it. So I've just incorporated the cell phone into what I do. I just try to find an artful way to get the cell phone in there. And I also have a series as part of going, the photograph. As part of the yeah. photograph, because it's what everybody's <laughs> taking selfies. And, and, you know, one Indian had somebody carrying around his own light for him the other night <laughs> so they could get good pictures. But I think that, um, and I'm also working on a series of people using cell phones and iPhones in inappropriate places and ways. Yes. And which I probably won't be able to publish because I don't have releases, but just for my own fun. And Cheryl, I think of you as doing a lot of like editorial work and professional work, but you're, um, where I'd first heard about you, though, is you did this, um, I can't know if this puts you on the map or what, but you did this great expose of gutter punks in the French Quarter. Oh, that was my first story for Gambit in 19, yeah. I think, 94. Did any gutter punks come back to you and sue you for their I, image? Or? No, they didn't. In fact, very recently when Gambit was sold to The Advocate, Every summer, Gambit gives me a cover story on anything I want to do. And I was going to do it on mass incarceration, but when I found out that Gambit was sold to The Advocate, I was like, I need to remind them how long I've been here. So I did a 25-year kind of, like, recreate <laughs> photos. So I went back and I found one of the gutter punks who was probably 15 or 16 years old back then, and I recognized him teaching Tai Chi in the park as a 40-something-year-old, you know? and. He's got a tattoo around his eye, so it was easy well, to easy see. Well, easy to find, yeah. So, um, wow. Yeah, that was that was one of the that that story got me the gig at Gambit because I was complaining about the gutter punks, and one of my friends from Greece so why said, "Why not you profit know, from them?" Said, yes. "You're going to be an old stick in the mud if you think like that. Maybe one of them is an artist or a poet or something." So I just got to know them, and you know, a lot of them are bright, bright kids. Whether you're consciously aware of it or not, all of us are brushing up against intellectual property multiple times a day, even if you're on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or even listening to the radio, you're consuming intellectual property that you may or may not be paying for. The proliferation and regulation of intellectual property is a massive issue. Cheryl and Michael, thank you both for shining a light on it today and, and giving us the benefit of your expansive knowledge and expertise. I really appreciate it. And thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on Out to thank Lunch. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been photographer Cheryl Gerber and intellectual property attorney Michael Leachman, partner in the law firm of Jones Walker. You can find out more about Cheryl's photographs and Michael's IP practice by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts, including Spotify and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com 
on It's New Orleans Facebook page and on Instagram. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast, and by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 